This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners and viewers like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And to stay updated with video releases, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. I'm Rani Shatar, and this is The Beirut Banyan. an obvious structural problem we're facing in Lebanon that predates 2019, it predates the elections, it predates the Houston crisis, it predates 2005. It's having a structural problem like Hezbollah in Lebanon. And I know that your voice is amplified on this issue. And I think you've offered a path forward on your terms through local elections at addressing this issue. But I'm curious how, if you win, and if there's a bloc in parliament that succeeds, how that group would be able to tackle Hezbollah the way you see it. And the reason I'm starting this way is because it's not the first time we've tried to tackle this issue in Lebanon. And I'm not sure why it would be different this time around. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry to start with a very big question, but I think it's an appropriate question. And I think it's the issue everyone is talking about all the time. Thank you, Ronnie. Uh, I think you've really started with the right angle to try to tackle this issue. Lebanon, you know, since 1985, when they announced the so-called formation of Hezbollah, they made it clear from the first speech that was made that they are part of Wilayat al-Faqih, they are part of Iran, they are soldiers in the Wilayat al-Faqih, so there is no misunderstanding where they're loyalty is okay mm. i mean as much as we know that after the 2000 and maybe more of the 92 first election that happened after the civil war hezbollah attempted to portray themselves that they are lebanese but on so many occasions they made sure to make us understand that they are lebanese in order to take over the country not lebanese because they would like to build the country so mm. we ended up into a series of conflicts which we can go through them one by one 2000, when Israel withdrew from Lebanon, the Lebanese government allowed Hezbollah to declare victory that they are the people that should negotiate the withdrawal of Israel. This was in the year 2000. In 96, with 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 the invasion of Israel to Lebanon, Hezbollah, with the Syrians, insisted that they should be part of the negotiating team that they were monitoring the ceasefire after that. Yes. And then you go down down this list yeah. for so many years. 19, 2004, you know, I mean, your, your late dad, he was, you know, he was aware of what's going on with the 1559, mm. okay, the UN Security Council 1559, which was very clear that I was part of that, you know, in the United States. Actually, I was invited to attend the debate mm. post the decision by the Congress, and whereby it was very clear that, you know, people are saying enough is enough. You know, Syrians have to withdraw out of Lebanon. I think from that point onward, Hezbollah decided that it's time for them to take over the country. Mm. The 1559, September 1559, uh, for 2004, 
February 14, 2005, yes. Hariri was assassinated. The Syrians were forced out. Hezbollah dominated the scene. They created the so-called 8th of March yes. versus the majority of the 14th of March. But in retrospect, there really there was no minority and majority. Because what happened in 2005, if you recall, after the assassination of Hariri, they formed the so-called the four-party agreement, yes. which is the two, the, the two Shiites, one Sunni and one Druze, which effectively what Hezbollah did, they said, I'm going to give the Sunnis, under the leadership of Saad al-Hariri, the full dominance of the Sunnis, mm-hmm. but on two conditions. You never discuss who killed Rafi al-Hariri, and on the other hand, you don't discuss the legitimacy of the arms of Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. And as you know, they formed a government, the elections of 2005, and there were the majority and the minority. But since then, there has never been a challenge to the arms of Hezbollah in any form within the parliamentarian context. Mm. There has been a lot of discussion on the side, mm-hmm. you know, through the so-called Tawit al-Hiwar, which yes. is really, it's non-existent because technically, if I have a parliament who is elected by the people, what would be the justification of allowing another entity which is non-elected to negotiate the future of a country when there is an elected parliament? Yeah. 2006, there was the war with Israel. 2006, we all thought that there was a real war and basically Hezbollah were there to defend Lebanon. Mm. As time progressed, it is really, it's a man-made war to justify allowing Hezbollah to be the negotiating factor with Israel around the Syrian borders. When people rejected that after the, the war was over in July 2006, Hezbollah were not too happy because by 2005, they had already dominated their part of the Lebanon, which was under their control. Yes. After the war in Israel, they want to dominate and to share whatever is left outside their control. So they came down to the, to the, to the downtown area and they decided to occupy it. And ever since the economy of the downtown has basically mm. collapsed. Mm. If we recall, after the assassination of Harir, there was 30% reduction in the economical activities of the downtown. Yes. By the end of 2006, basically it's now 70%, and it has been disastrous ever since. The property value went down, you know, the, 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 there is no more operations going on, only few restaurants and all of this. Mm-hmm. So basically Hezbollah said, I'm going to be dominating the, really the symbol of the economy of Lebanon, which was, was the downtown. And we lost at that time. We were used. To, we were expecting 1.6 million visitors. We end down to 1 million, and we've lost in excess of a billion dollars worth of revenue. And from the uh, from the touristic uh, business, if there was the hotel or the restaurant, a billion dollar that's close to about 30 to 40 thousand jobs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then we went on to the next round. 2008, okay, after they decided to play the so-called al-Mithaqiyya, which means, you know, basically it's an undeclared, non-constitutional agreement saying that if I disagree with you as a Sunni or Shiite, then basically you have no right to rule, even though this is not non-constitutional. They wanted to force Senora out, yes. okay, if we call. And then when they couldn't, they decided to invade Beirut in 2008. And, you know, after that, you know, after the invasion and killing people in Beirut, 14th of March and 8th of March went to Doha. 
and we had the so-called the Doha Agreement, mm-hmm. which I believe was the dagger in the in the back of the Taif Agreement, mm. because all, everybody that was there decided to give the control to Hezbollah under the so-called two items that were non-constitutional and not related to the Taif Agreement, the so-called the blocking one third, yes. and the second one is the fact the so-called the famous formula, the people, the army, yes. and the resistance. And when they came back from Doha before the elections, as you know, they, it was the first government that they announced that ever since it has been recognized by every single prime minister. And the prime minister's speech is the one that has been given the vote of confidence by the parliament. So technically speaking, since 2009, the whole country, the political apparatus, decided to be followers to Hezbollah and to allow Hezbollah to operate outside the state. And that's where we are today. I think in terms of the... Um articulating the problem the way it has impacted our politics and economics when it comes to the voices that are very pointed and very capable of talking your voice shines i'm curious about one thing and i'd like to explore it as much as you can you're outlining pretty much my life i think in a way growing up in a country that could not recover from the civil war properly uh whether it was through the Syrian occupation or its after effects and what Hezbollah was able to inherit from 2005 onwards and everything you addressed, whether it's this ugly forced national unity in Doha or even the more recent version of it in 2018 or anything that can paralyze the state. I'm not sure what can be done this time around in 2022 through parliament or local elections. And I'm not sure if there is any actual policy being offered and how to address Hezbollah on a local level. And I appreciate that you mentioned 1559, 2004, and we can go even deeper, 1701 after 2006, after the July War. It always seems like the broader answers are abroad when it comes to this problem. And oftentimes, they're not necessarily answers that are good for Lebanon. Doha... You said it was the dagger in the back. It's the end of sovereign ambitions against curtailing Hezbollah's telecommunications and its airport security. For my mind, that's the last time the state actually tried. October last year, Tara Bitar's investigation was paralyzed. It's been seven months. I don't know what parliament can do that hasn't been tried before in 2022. And I know it's a huge question for one candidate, one MP. Let me let me start. You know, we are a parliamentarian system. Mm. So whoever dominates the parliament can elect a president, will nominate the cabinet, mm. will give vote of confidence to the cabinet, will authorize budgets, will mm. change regulations. So technically, the parliament is the thing. But remember, in 1972 was the last time we had elections. Then 20 years later, in 1992, we had the Syrian-controlled election. Yes. And ever since, it was either the Syrian or the... Hezbollah-controlled parliament, Mm. which means that it is our fault as sovereign Lebanese that wanted to have a neutral Lebanon that we can go back to our Arab countries, you know, good relationship. We decided not to play our responsibilities well, and we allowed the system uh, to continue the way it is. Now, if we agree that in 2009, because of the type of the Doha Agreement, that we have authorized Hezbollah to be outside the state, 
mm. to allow them to have arms, not to report to any judicial system, mm. to threaten everybody, to dominate the port, the airport, mm. the, uh, the 134 illegal points of entry yeah. with the borders of Syria, the, you know, having their own ports for smuggling, uh, ignoring the fact that they are smuggling drugs to the Arab countries, ignoring the fact that they are training terrorists here to be sent to the Arab countries. If we ignore all of this, then we have to go back to the people that went to Doha in 2009 and authorized that unacceptable, you know, unnatural phenomena mm. that you have a militia controlled by a political party which is represented in the parliament and the cabinet, but they do not report to the state. Right. So, I tried because I challenged them in 2018, and I was against them all because I'm the only independent candidate. Because everybody else, even the ones that resigned, they were part of a political apparatus that they were elected. You know, yes, they resigned in order to clean the slate and their history. That's fine, and we mm. respect them. But mm. technically, they have not been elected in 2018 against the so-called Al-Manzumi, you yes. know, which is the yeah. political apparatus. So what happened is that now we have an opportunity. I believe what used to be few of us in the parliament, this time is most probably going to be the one-third plus. Right. Yeah. Now, if the opposition did not decide to go for their egos and decide not to think that each one of them was the, the, you know, the, the hero of change, mm. uh, Jean d'Arc or Che Guevara <laughs> and all of this, maybe we could have had, at least in Beirut, we could have got between seven to eight. Which means that if the elections would have happened with all the opposition working together, which we tried very hard for two years to mm. try to form it, then Hezbollah would not have would not have achieved the 65 seats, which means they would have been less than 65 seats. We could have started the process then, as on the 16th of May, mm. in order to remove that legitimacy of the arms of Hezbollah, and then they will become illegal. Yes, we may not have today the force to take their arms, away, but at least they do not have the legitimacy to operate, and we could have started the process of negotiations in order to start the reforms, the banking reforms, the IMF, and all of this. Now, my concern is that because the opposition is defragmented, and yes. each one has been trying to become the Che Guevara of, this, of, the, of the revolution, they might be able to secure over 65 seats, which means we will not be today mm. in a position to remove the legitimacy of the illegal arms. Mm. Mm. And we will not be in a position to force them to negotiate with the army to hand over part or the at least the offensive part of their weapons. Mm. So we have to start now with 2016 by all the sovereign you know, Lebanese MPs, that we would like to bring back Lebanon from being hijacked by Hezbollah, we need to work together at least to block decisions that are normally has been since 2005. Really, it's, 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 it's a fait accompli, and Hezbollah tells, I want this president, I want this prime minister, and so on and so forth. So we might have that chance. But if we can still work together, and then we have the the municipal elections in next year, mm -hmm. and then we have three years later, we have the parliamentary elections, then maybe 
we could be in a position to have the control by 2026 if we can get the ego to be toned down and to look <laughs> for this. If we can do this, I believe there is a good chance. Because what will happen then if we remove the legitimacy? We will not give the vote of confidence for any prime minister that will decide that, you know, unless you agree to the golden formula, you know, basically will not give mm. it to them. Mm. And the, the Hezbollah, as, as you've noticed lately, because I believe they're becoming weaker, they are raising their rhetoric by saying, we will cut the arms, we will try to do this for anybody. But so far, they have not been able, after 2013 and mm. after 2021 with the assassination of Lukman Slim, they really have been more of a rhetoric, parole, parole, more than an actual, you know, performing but of their killing actually, machine. That's a nice segue to go a little deeper. And with your permission, this is, this is the terrain I really want to explore with you, because I think this is an instinctual feeling. I think you're setting the stage for yourself to do two things at once. Guide policy on Hezbollah in a more refined way. And perhaps, I don't think I'm over-speaking here, perhaps finding yourself in the Sarai as well as a potential prime minister. So I think you're shaping the narrative and you're offering, I think, the longer view, which is healthy. But I'm going to try to revisit earlier attempts as much as I can. Because I like that you were you use the word responsibility. My memory of 2005 victory, even though it's, it is the way you described it as this national unity gone wrong, this four-way approach, the majority of parliament was technically positioning itself against Hezbollah through politics at least. Nothing could be done to prevent a July 2006 war, which we talked about earlier. And that always seems to be the Achilles heel that Hezbollah can still launch an offensive or do what it needs to do to distract from politics and paralyze politics. 2008 was a showdown on the streets of Beirut over institutional maneuvering on marginal issues. And then you had a majority vote in 2009. Less than two years later, Saad Hariri is out of the country. The government resigns or is in a caretaker capacity. And then we have Najim Yalti's second round as prime minister. I don't see why things would change now, even if, which I agree with you, it seems like they're in a far worse situation than before. I don't think Hezbollah's footing is as stable as it used to be, but I can't see them tolerating genuine resistance against their resistance within Lebanon the way you projected. Because I, I noticed there's an amplification. I don't know if that's the right word. There, there's a there's a tone that is higher than usual across Lebanon against Hezbollah. And I just don't see what the policies would be exactly, other than maybe symbolic gestures, which I think, I think is what a lot of people are offering, that there would be no tolerance to a few things, but the infrastructure itself really cannot be dealt with in a local way, that this is still beyond, beyond parliament or beyond even a group or a coalition that Hezbollah is able to dictate things beyond that, that it operates in a slightly different way than, than we do. Um, I would like to push it a little bit further. In uh, 2005, they did that four-party agreement, mm -hmm. which they dominated the parliament. 
But it wasn't a direct domination of the parliament, but mm. it was by agreement. Because mm. 14th of March, we basically were the Sunnis with Christians. 8th of March, were Shia were Christian. Mm. But really, if you look at it from a force point of view and from a demographic, it's the Sunni and Shia that they are the majority in this country. So if you make a four-party agreement, you've dominated the Christians okay, in mm. an indirect way. Okay, Even though I still believe that Lebanon without the Christian would lose it's raison d'etre, because of at the course, end of the day, yeah. I will be against changing the structure that we have today. Mm. I still believe that we have to live together as citizens, which is not the case today, because now we have to run as religious groups and religious based. Now, in 2000, and uh, after the, uh, you know, uh, when when uh, we had two years with no president, you know, after, uh, after Emil Lahoud, because Hezbollah said no. And then we go to Doha, they brought Michel Sleiman, yeah. and then six years later they said, it's either Michel Aoun or Michel Aoun, mm -hmm. okay? The problem of Saad al-Hariri at that time, he should not have gone along with that option, mm. even though he might have the good intentions that it was to avoid civil war, mm. but mm. we are paying the price today for that political decision that was taken in 2016. Now, 2016, remember, until that point, uh, they were controlling the parliament, as you said, in yeah. 2010, Hariri was kicked out and they brought Najib Mikati, or the so-called the black t-shirts, yes. okay? And really, when the way they forced Hariri out in 2010 at the doors of the White House, it was very clear they're saying, I will dictate who will be the next prime minister, okay? Mm. So now they are dominating the parliament and they're dominating the prime ministership. Mm. By 2014, mm. by creating the vacuum you know, for the presidency, they're saying, and I will be dictating who's the next president. Mm. And they did it in 2016, yeah. okay? But until 2016, there were no sanctions against Hezbollah internationally. The United States did mm. not, mm. Uh, you know, put Hezbollah on the sanctions list and all of this. 2016, when Hezbollah was put on the sanctions list and they started dominating his finances, you know, mm. especially through yes. controls yeah. and all yeah. of this, Hezbollah realized that now this is, you need to have a legitimacy for what you're doing. So you cannot be dominating through proxies, okay? Mm, mm. So they created the election law of 2017, and they said from the beginning, this law basically was made for Hezbollah and Tayyar Watan Hur to dominate at the cost of the Sunnis and the cost of the Druze and all of this. And believe it or not, that's exactly what the elections gave them. And they gave them a control of 74 seats in the parliament. This is what Qasem Soleimani's video keeps saying. <laughs> but three of them, they resigned and they pulled out of the coalition of mm. Tayyar Watan al-Hur. You have Namad Frame, you have Michel Ma'awad, you have uh, you have Michel Daher. So yeah. that brought them down to 71 from the 74 that they had, but still 71. So it means short of the presidential elections, they have the full control of the parliament whenever they want. And they can nominate, because remember, the nomination for the prime ministership is majority. Yes. Whatever that majority is. Okay. Mm. So what happened there, so their domination of contraband, smuggling, drugs, uh, laundering, money laundering, and all of this, they needed to legitimize it. Right. And they needed the parliament to stop issuing any laws that may affect them and to challenge their arms. So when they went to election of 2018, they were dominating the scene. Yes. And what they're trying to do now because with the, with the sanctions, it was very difficult for them to get away with everything. Mm. So when the explosion happened on the 4th of August yes. uh, 2020, irrespective, the Biqadi Bitar, the Judge Bitar, he challenged four MPs or ex-ministers 
one from Tayyar Mustabar, mm-hmm. two from Amal, and right. one from Marada. Yes. Why are they stopping the investigation in order to proceed? Because all the reports are coming from Copenhagen and coming from everywhere else, says that the ship was sent to Lebanon for Syria through Hezbollah, and they were the ones that were storing it and taking care of it. Now, having the fourth largest explosion in the world, having the largest explosion and crime in the history of the Arab world, and to stop the investigation, it means, basically, your arms is no more to protect Lebanon from Israel. Your arms is to use it against the Lebanese and to kill the Lebanese. So now the Lebanese have the choice. You know, everything that I used to say that they were dominating the corruption scene, they were dominating, you know, the the judicial system, they were dominating this. But by witnessing such a disaster and such a crime, and yet not to allow the law to be really carried out, then it means that you are not anymore Lebanese. You're using your arms against us. Now, we have the elections coming up. Mm-hmm. I wish... The, the opposition understands that because they still, as you've noticed, you know, most of the of the of the competition within the Beirut second district is against me. Okay, <laughs> which is fine because I'm not I'm not trying to to dominate the scene. You know, for personal reasons. As I you haven't know. heard you say that this way yet, which is kind of nice. Sure, but it's a, from your side, yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. there because <laughs> you see. Remember, in nineteen in twenty eighteen, the the number of Beirutis that they voted was about one hundred forty seven thousand or. 50,000. You divide it by 11 candidates, that's yeah. about 13,000. But as you know, based on this law, okay, yes. any slate that doesn't achieve that threshold of 13,000, round two, you will re- take away all these numbers from the 150,000 that were voted, and then you divide by 11, which means that the threshold next time might be 10,000 right. or 9,000. Right. Yes. Yeah. Now, we all know Hezbollah has a religious edict. You know, they all have to go and vote without thinking. And the Ahbash will be the same story. So that combination, last time they secured three seats for mm-hmm. themselves yes. because they were around close to about 40,000. So if you had about 11, 12,000 per the threshold, they can get three, okay, three, mm-hmm. three and a yeah. half, whatever. But if today with these multiple slates, that is most of them, they will not get the threshold to be, to be, to, to be counted. It means all their votes are going to be subtracted from the total, which means the second round of threshold will be around 10. So their three will become four and their four will become five. Right. So the choices that we have today and what we have to understand I'm not saying that the other slates are good or bad. It's up to the Beirutists to decide. But when you have a slate like us, they're all from Beirut. They're all qualified people. None of them has any political inheritance. Nobody was part of the corruption. They're all educated. They're all successful in their fields. They were all part of the revolution of October Mm -hmm. 2019. So technically, anybody that can win from the slate is a representative of Beirut. Now, when you go for the other slates, which are mixed hybrid of all kinds of political uh, backgrounds, you may be voting for X, but this law might not allow your X candidate to, it might be Y. So the question is that in our slate, anybody from the 11 will be representing Beirut. From the other slates, you may not be getting the quality representative that you want. Now, it means that all of this is forcing the situation of allowing Hezbollah to win more seats. Mm, yeah. And their plan, and remember, you know, Hezbollah, even though they are maximum of 20, 22% of the electoral uh, base in, in Beirut, but worse than that, they're going to be putting somebody that will lead the slate who is on the sanctions list. I need to pick your brain a little further. 
I still don't understand the policies that can be implemented against Hezbollah's infrastructure in Lebanon. And I promise you this will be the last question on, on this terrain. There are too many Lebanese that we both know that tried. And they failed not because they were bad at their jobs. Whether they're in intelligence officers, whether they're thinkers. I mean, Gibran Twaini and Samir Asir, to me, are intellects. They should still be here. Or even in terms of agency, an MP that wants to do the right thing, or a judge like Tariq Bitar that is determined but unable. I still don't know what can be done within Lebanon other than cosmetics. And this is why I'm trying to, maybe I'm forcing it, maybe it's a bad habit, but I, I really want to know, is this bigger question at the end of the day, a regional question that Lebanese actors don't necessarily have the answers to? Acknowledging that it's no one's fault for not having those answers. I don't think it's a burden a civil society member should have, but I still don't understand what can be done other than what has been tried before. And, and sorry, I'll, I'll introduce one more thing. I think his name now is far more problematic than it used to be. And I think it's obvious that since his departure from politics or his suspension, uh, Saad Hadidi's inabilities were clearer as time passed. And that I don't think perhaps his career will go, go down in history as a successful one. But I think Hezbollah has the tools necessary to turn communal leaders into their preferred partners. And that goes beyond Saad Hariri. That's Michel Aoun. That's Nabi Birri. That even their alternative is Hezbollah's preferred alternative. So what could you do to prevent that from happening to you should you enter the Sarai? And what can you do, period, to address this problem in Lebanon? Um, everybody has a choice. I was offered the prime ministership when I was asked if I was ready to form the prime minister, prime minister in, uh, in October 2019 after the resignation of Harry. Like 10 other Sunnis mm. that was asked, as you know, every name that was discussed with that. Uh, you all the time have the choice to say no. Okay? All what it needed from me is to go down to Dahi, uh, pay my allegiance to Hezbollah, and agree not to open any dossier that basically is not in agreement with their policy to protect their corrupted allies. Mm. My reaction was out of the question. Okay? So to tell me that you have no choice, of course you have a choice. Mm. But you see, the problem is that Hezbollah can only deal with corrupted people with so many legal dossiers against them, like the current prime minister or the previous ones, because this is they will feel more comfortable with that. Because if you try to say no, they will tell you, remember, we have the housing loans, you have the cellular, you have all of these issues, and the latest one was the corona you know, vaccine at the airport. Now, so technically you have all the right to say no. Mm. But if you are part of the corrupted class, the only one that can protect you today with the current setup is Hezbollah. Because they control the parliament, they control the judicial system, they control the security forces. So technically speaking, they, but nobody is going to be challenging you as a political leader when you have the protection of Hezbollah. Yeah. Okay. Now, let's go back to 2005 onward. When you said, you know, what could be done? 
Well, facts on the grounds normally, it will take much longer to reverse. Mm. Since 2005, whereby nobody challenged the control of Hezbollah, you know, on the on the political system and on the borders and all of this, allowed Hezbollah to slowly, through the salami tactic, to try to take control slowly, 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 because every single prime minister we had did not do what Rafael Hariri did, whereby he say, I'm willing to make a deal, but you cannot touch the basic reconstruction, you know, the, 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 the image of Lebanon to, to, to attract investments and all of this. And as time progressed, and every prime minister gave a little bit more to Hezbollah, mm. investors after 2011 started saying, this is not really what we want to see. You don't see that as a consequence to Hezbollah's capabilities. So in other words, I appreciate you went back to Fuad Senora's brief tenure between 2005 and 2008. And I think of him as somebody that was probably too shy at times at addressing that that bigger issue. But I do remember attempts being made, being met with either paralysis, fear, or, or assassination. So that, that to me is... Let, um, me, let me ask you a question. If you were the prime minister and you have realized that basically being there, mm. true, you are keeping that position occupied, mm. but if really you're achieving very little... As far as I'm concerned, I would have resigned. So the option, in other words, would be a noble opposition. Well, let me tell you one thing. As a prime minister, which you were paralyzed, Mm. or as a caretaker prime minister, but you have put the country in a position to tell them, I was not willing to sign anything because you you are illegal in this Mm. this setup, I would have preferred the other option, Mm. whereby I'm sending the message, you cannot dominate me. Okay. I see. So in other words, it could be a, a re-examination of Hariri's tenure or his length being that he should have resigned earlier than he resigned. And that would have been a path to prevent Hezbollah's encroachment. 2016, when uh, Michel Aoun was elected as mm. president, the first statement that was made by the office of the prime minister mm. that he is going to give up the right to formulate the agenda for the for the Council of Ministers mm. to the president, which is unconstitutional. Yeah. Okay, so if you start, you see, in Lebanon, we have three levels of agreements. You have the constitution, which is the supreme one. Yeah. Then you have what they call al-mithaqi, which yes. is basically, it is really, it's basically a total waste of time because <laughs> it's a man-made by Hezbollah to justify giving the veto right to the Shiites. And third one, the al-aish al-mushtarak, the yeah. way that we should live together. Mm-hmm. None of these two are constitutional. But by allowing Hezbollah to use them in order to veto any decision is there. So it is not only that Hezbollah is the bad person. It is the whole political apparatus that fell into the trap of Hezbollah because they told them very clearly, you will be the chief of the Sunnis, you will be the chief of the Druze, you will be the chief of the, of the, of the Shiites, and I will allow you to rule and to make money, and to make deals, and I will protect you from any legal or anybody else that will come close to you. Because tell me, we hear Hezbollah talking about fighting corruption. Hassan Fadlallah keeps talking about it. Have you seen the assistant driver of a politician that went to jail? (laughs) When you talk about the so-called, you know, the... uh, communication, okay? And in 2017, everybody blamed everybody that, you know, there was 15,000 political uh, employment whereby there was a decision in 2017 that there is no more employment. 
It took us four years in the parliament. Up to now, we don't know how many people were employed because the opposition, the, all the ministers were protected by Hezbollah because they allowed Nabi Barri, Saad al-Hariri, Walid Jumblat, everybody, the Lebanese force, everybody hired people within the system, mm. okay? But if you did not have Hezbollah who dominates the parliament, you could have easily challenged you know, the so-called to give the vote of confidence into these people. So, and I'm sorry to push as far as I can. It's a rare opportunity to, to gauge your mind on this because I appreciate that you've you've really made it a rallying cry, and I think it's 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 the most important debate to have. You don't see 2005 and 2009 as a repetition for what is going to happen in 2022. If I understood you correctly, that. Parliament this time around is more capable because Hezbollah's leverage has wobbled, if not gone down a bit, and that the mistakes made before were not to resign earlier, that if potentially you were to find yourself in the Sarai, that you would see your role as possibly resigning if you ended up in a situation like Senora ended up in, or Hariri, or for that matter, Mi'ati in October last year. Is that how you would project your power? Uh, yes, for okay. one simple reason. For me, playing a public position, mm. it's a really, it's a task. Mm. It's not something that's going to give me credit that I become prime minister or a member of the parliament. I challenged at that time a sitting prime minister and I challenged a sitting minister of interior. They were yes. running against me. Yeah. Okay, And they fixed the elections. I should have had at least one more candidate winning with me. But at the end of the day, I challenged them all and this. And this should be the message to all the youth. No matter how tough and strong they are, you can all the time challenge the system mm. if you have a clean slate. Because mm. if mm. you don't have a clean slate, they will use it against you. Because as you've noticed, all their attack on me, it is a fabricated news because they think that this is will undermine the image. But that's really matter. People know by now who, what is right and what's wrong. Okay? The other, you know, what we need to decide now, if we are given the chance to go and formulate you know, and form the government. As far as I'm concerned, I do not go for multiple terms. Mm. You know, for me, if I cannot achieve in one term, it's a waste of time to try the second and third term because the conditions will not change much, mm. okay? And if you fail, allow somebody else to come and make the change. When I passed the reign of my company in 2002 for Rami, yes. God bless his soul, he was 25 years old. People came to me and they said, you're crazy. How would you dare to do something like this? I said, it's very simple. We are into a new millennium. The mindset of the economy of the world is changing. Now we're on dot-com. We're not into the telefax and the fax and the phones anymore, which means that if we do not allow young breed of people to come to make the change and to support them to try to achieve their goal, we will be wasting time. And Rami, he turned the business 11 times bigger within the, the 10 years that he 
ruled as, as the CEO. And, you know, this is, I was right in making the decision. The same mm-hmm. thing applies to me. Mm-hmm. I've never taken in any, in any of my public position, international organization, more than one term. Because I believe that unless you can be a member of the parliament, but if you want to be a prime minister for life, like some people would love to say, <laughs> then this is, is going, you're stopping the chances for somebody, no matter how smart or how intelligent or how qualified you are. In politics, and especially over the last decade, life is changing on an hourly basis, not only on a yearly basis, on an hourly basis. And unfortunately, our politicians in Lebanon, they only surround themselves with yes men or yes women type people. You cannot rule because the economy is changing, politics is changing, the, the whole world is changing. And if we do not have people that are willing to create the continuation in yeah. a political system, not. And that's why in my slate that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm heading, I have most of them, there are middle-aged young men and women, yes. which means that if I run for one more time or not, I am confident that these people, when they win, they're going to continue the process. If we don't do that, so to answer your question, would I be able to do it? You know, I, I, I run my business in 50 countries, and the model of collapse that we have. I've seen it from Latin America all the way to, mm. to Asia. Mm. So it's not that something I haven't seen. Mm. When you look at the electricity and water, I've helped the Diwa in Dubai yeah. to reach where they are. I've helped in Saudi Arabia. I've helped in all of these countries. You know, the education system. I started at the LAU, the, the Maghzumi Center for Innovation, which is the artificial intelligence. And now they're doing very well. When I started in the primary care, I'm against hospitals. I'm against with primary care, which we did with the foundation. We are with microcredit programs. So, you know, to try to build community and build basically to empower people, this is what we do for for a living because this is my experience and my team. So for me, yes, I can do it. And I've told at that time the president I can do it. But the conditions will not be in compliance with what Hezbollah and Nabi Birri and Michelle Aoun want. And for them, this was shocking. You know, they're offering you or me the position and you're saying, yes, but my terms. And at the moment... This is an unacceptable mindset. But if we can start the process of change, I believe they have no choice because if we do not have that quality of leadership, I don't believe there will be a single penny that will be coming into the Lebanon. And, you know, now the Shias are complaining against Hezbollah because their standards of living is going down the drain like everybody else. So I respect that you're able to acknowledge that should you hit the same wall that has been hit before, rather than sticking around on terms that are not yours, you'd be willing to consider a resignation that is noble and... And to call for early elections. And and to call for early elections, but to be a stalwart opposition figure beyond just being civil society. And your Makhzumi Foundation is well known. I think it's a very honorable thing you do. And I think... Your name is often associated with uh, with either academia or, or real NGO work. And I think that, that will always be there. But the journey into politics head on, and I know you've, you've been in politics for a while, but because it's a more visible uh, tone or it's a more visible uh, uh, journey at the moment, I really hope that married to that noble principle, that there is at least a call for some wider diplomacy that has not been done before and trying to end the nightmare that is Iran's security in Lebanon. Because I think it's always healthy to address it, whether it's through elections or TV or in, the, in, in media. But 
unless it's married with a policy that could do something more, I think unfortunately it's repetition or it's echoing what we've been what we've been dying in, which is Hezbollah's disorder in Lebanon. So thank you for letting me even approach you with this wider topic. I'll, I'll go from that to your current ambition and your Beirut 2 list, which I think I've seen almost every corner now in Beirut. And a lot of them are friends as well. Um, so I'll ask you about if you see this as the the way to address a larger community's relative anxiety. I know that this is not the same uh, the same story that the Christians felt in the early 1990s, when Michel Aoun was in Paris and Jaja was in jail, and you had presidents that did not really meet Christian political aspirations, and you had a Kata'ib party that was a Syrian version of Kata'ib, and the Christian community largely exited local politics. I know it's not the same right now. And there's, there, there are many Sunni voices, not just in Beirut, across the country. But are you seeing your role in trying to offer a wider community that chance for you to fill in a huge vacuum that's not just Saad Hariri or Rafi Hariri for that matter. It's the, it's the Sunni role in politics as it emerged post-civil war. That this is something that has, in a way, it's changed fundamentally. And are you filling that void or are you just doing your job as one individual in Beirut, sticking to your principles? And that's really, at the end of the day, what matters. No. Uh, see, to start with, the if we were to compare to canvas the whole political spectrum of Lebanon, the Christians are more democratic than the Muslims. <laughs> Because if you look at it, you may disagree with their leadership, <laughs> but at least they have four or five people that they claim that they are their leaders. What Hezbollah did, and the Syrians before, their biggest enemy are the Sunnis, not the Christians. Because at the end of the day, the Sunnis are the majority in this region, and the Shiites are the minorities. Okay? For me, the Christians should never be counted within the demography, because the Christians' role in Lebanon, it gives us what we are, which is differentiate us from the rest. Because if you look at the demography at the end of the day, by 2050, the Christians will be around 18%. But if we are not want to go to the Mugre before we get into the citizenry mm. type, mm. no, I would like to keep the you know the role of the Christians as it is today. So this is a reference to power sharing the way we understand. That's it. correct. Yeah. Now, okay. if we go back to the you know to, to the to the to the Sunnis, mm. you know when the late Rafi'il Hariri came, he really wanted to lead. But leadership in politics is different than business. In business, you can be the CEO, you can be the chairman. But mm. in politics, you need a consensus within your own community. I'm not talking, you know, this, what they call consensual democracy. This is a lot of yeah, joke. Okay? Yeah. But I'm saying, if you're going, until we move on from being a religious sectarian society to become a Lebanese society, which is really in conformity with our constitution. Yeah. We don't have a religion for Lebanon, as yeah. you know. Yeah. So, but until we get to that point, these political leaders, the warlords that took us to war from 75 until 1989 are still ruling us, but under a different uniform. And now it's called the constitutional part. You know what is that? So as far as I'm concerned, I don't believe for the sake of Lebanon and for the sake of the Sunnis, we should never try to limit ourselves to one leader. 
Mm. We should have mm. a political program that I may run for, for a period of time, but you should be available to continue the process when it's time for me to step down. This is what we call transfer of power. Mm. Now, unfortunately, this is it's something new to the Sunni community because for 30 years, the, the name Hariri dominated the, the, the Sunni scene. Mm. I mean, you only think Hariri. Now, with Saad stepping down yeah. or stepping aside for, the, for at least, I don't know for how long, yeah. Saad basically, really, I believe, he did not make amends with the, with the Sunnis. You know. He said in his resignation speech at the end of January that he thought that we had two, two tracks that he needs to follow, the so-called the civil uh, civil security and the civil yeah. peace, but on the other hand, to improve the standards of living of the people, which he felt that he did well on the first one and not the second, not the second yeah. one. But you know, Lebanon, like all other countries, it's economy, economy, and economy. So if my standards of living of any citizen is not up to standard, nobody cares about politics. Okay, and this is the weakness that we have in our society because mm. since 1992. It was perceived that your political boss will take care of you. So you don't have to worry about the, the institution. You don't have to worry about the government. Yeah. You want to go to school, you go to him, he will give you a small piece of paper, you will go and register. Yeah. You need help, he will force somebody to pay you money. You want to go to hospital, he will force somebody to accept you. Which is really, it is not how you run a citizenry, because you know we need to have the establishment of the state. My program is that we need to re-establish all of this. We need to reconstitute the government. We need to constitute your rights as citizen, not to have Fuad Makhzoumi or X or Y or Z to fill in the gap that the, the government has created. Okay. We need to have your rights. You need to take your rights. But to be able to have your rights, I need reforms. To have a reform, I need to have a, a parliament mm -hmm. that is not going to be dominated by illegal arms of Hezbollah to force changes. So, right. Can I just make sure I understood? Is it when you you were uh, comparing to the Christian political experience, is it that you would want multiple Sunni parties competing? Absolutely. So it's not the four leaders that we know that no, tend no, to no, rotate no. around. Historically yeah. in Lebanon, before the civil war, in Beirut we have five or six leaders, mm -hmm. in Tripoli yeah. we have two or three. You know, yes. At the end of the day, yeah. the uh, uh, availing to the, to the citizens yeah. more options, right. all what you're giving them is a hope Yes. That nothing is going to be hitting the wall, you know, in case anything happens. So I'll, I'll move closer to Beirut, too, and your current candidacy and your list. I, you're refreshingly blunt and honest, which I rarely get to experience uh, this much in a first encounter. So I'm going to take liberty in asking you a question I wouldn't have felt comfortable asking before. And if you feel it's too out, outlandish, tell me, because I appreciate your tone here. Uh, I associated your earlier message in earlier years, the way you described it, which is true, that the Hariri name was so uh, entrenched mm -hmm. in Lebanese politics, the father and the son, when I would stumble up upon your name, or if I was listening to you speak, the focus was usually on him, or the father and the son, but really about that family's dominion on the community, and, and politics. It's more recent that I hear you being more aggressive on Hezbollah, but I don't associate your name with that tone earlier. And am I getting something wrong? Was it that the issue was not as pressing to you earlier? Or were you vocalizing it on your terms earlier? For me, there are two issues that we have to focus. Mm. The institution of the government, which basically the arms of Hezbollah 
yeah. becomes a very important uh, matter. But the most important is the standards of living and the standards of income of Lebanese. Remember, in the, when I came back in 92, there was a very clear separation. Hezbollah mm-hmm. and Nabi Barri will deal with the Syrians, with the government, okay, the establishment of yeah, the government yeah. and the security. And the business size and the growth and the improvement of standard of living was with Hariri and the Gulf. Right. So when we came, we all thought, I was one of them, yeah. that the civil war is behind us. Mm-hmm. So the only concern we have is to develop our economy and our society in order to attract more investments into the country to improve the standards of living. So yes. the concern was the economy and the standards of living. Mm-hmm. Plus, until we've seen in 2008, Hezbollah were perceived by people like me and others, that really it was for to defend the Lebanon against the ag- outside aggression. So that's the year for you that you would That's be correct, able to when you start, that. because in yeah. 2008, yeah. when they invaded my foundation, mm-hmm. I was on, on, on LBC, and yes. I've asked the question directly to Hezbollah. You claim that Hariri, uh, Senora, Marwan Ahmedi, Walid Jumblad yeah. are in collusion with Israel against you, but you protected these four, and you came against people like me. So explain to me what's the logic. What's the logic? So yeah. there is no logic. At that point, it started dawning on people like me and others mm-hmm. that really the arms of Hezbollah is not against others. It's against us to dominate the country. Mm-hmm. And as time progressed, the real intention of Hezbollah to take us to Iran and to become a platform for Iran, it becomes very obvious. Mm-hmm. After 2013, we all know, you know that when they decided to be involved into the regional wars, it was very clear that they're taking us as Lebanese to where where we shouldn't be. Why would I try to support Yemen or to support Iraq or to support Syria against other Arab countries when half of the million or 450,000 to 500,000 Lebanese are living in the Gulf, they expropriate for us half, six to seven billion dollars every year, which the only reason why the system did not collapse earlier because of them. And the only thing that the Arabs want from us is to have mutual respect. Yeah. So don't get involved in our local politics and this. And when the when the minister when the Saudi ambassador came back, you know, about a month ago, yes. all what he said, he he when they communicated with the with Miqati before the, the ambassador came, you know that all the Saudis are saying we need a security type bilateral agreement to protect our people if they come to the Lebanon, mm. to make sure that you do not export Captagon and export terrorism to us. And at that time, Miqati said yes, mm. the so-called the security mm. arrangement. Mm. Six weeks later, nothing happened. <laughs> okay, because again, Hezbollah does not want to try to build better relationship with the with the Gulf because they believe this way that if the Gulf was going to step away from us, then that will leave a free hand for Iran and Hezbollah to dominate the same. But I respect that you're able to pinpoint a time frame for your for your reasons for shifting the focus much more on Hezbollah, and that's 2008. I also respect that you're trying to avoid a repetition on that, which is another force de jour from Hezbollah's weapons on our politics. So I, I really respect that you're vocalizing it this way. And, and I, I hope I hope your projection uh, in terms of agency in parliament... But Tony, there is another thing, you know. Because the reason, I, the reason I even asked you this question and the reason I was being a bit too blunt, maybe, is because I, I know too many voices that have only used that uh, issue for sloganeering 
It could be every election cycle. You see it on billboards. It's almost like every no. party has answers. But let me ask you a question. Also, there is the rumor that, you know, my, you know, my opponents are saying, you know, ah, but, you know, the reason why Mahzoumi is raising the rhetoric too high because he's in agreement with Hezbollah. I was approached by uh, Nabi Barri, and he proposed at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, that I should, let's form a big slate for Beirut. They won four. All expectation, I was supposed to win three. That makes seven. So I will dominate Beirut. I looked at him. I said, I'm against all of you. So it's not a matter that I'm against everybody that was part of the reasons for the collapse. So I refused to be. And they attacked me, you know, since 2017 onward. I've never formed a government with them. I've never joined their cabinet. I've never voted in the parliament on any resolution in their favor. I'm all the time very verbal about, you know, that basically it's not acceptable to them. When you look at the four of this, why would I make a deal with Hezbollah from under the table or above the table or mm. behind the table? And, you know, the typical Lebanese way of doing it. When it was proposed to me by the president, I refused it. Mm. Because they want somebody who is a yes sir man, who is willing to do whatever they want because there are enough legal cases against them and dossier that basically, which I don't fit into that category. Yeah. I don't have any business in this country or this. So from that point onward, Hezbollah have been, I'm the center of their focus, you mm. know, for mm. all media propaganda attack against me. At the end of the day, you know, and I think I don't want to make it so blunt, what I'm doing is out of conviction. But if our people do not want the change, I'm the wrong person to vote for. Mm. You see, I'm not willing to compromise. You know, it's known by now that I'm not that compromising factor. Not because I'm arrogant or any of these things. No, at the end of the day, I have nothing that I would like to win from this country. I'm trying to build a case for my children and grandchildren to come back. When Rami passed away, he left me three girls. Rami lived most of his life outside. He came here in 2008, 2009, and then he passed away in 2011. His three daughters are now 20, 19, and 17. And, but, you know, they were born in Britain. So mm. it means for them, they have the option to travel. All what yeah. I want is to yeah. make sure that they have the option to come and back and live here. See, some of us, we have the option of trying to live somewhere else. Yeah. But no matter where you travel, you are the Lebanese with a British passport. You're Lebanese with American passport. You're a Lebanese that, you know, is working in this country or that country. Why shouldn't we not try to capitalize on that positive image and try to say, no, we want to be Lebanese in Lebanon. But to be able that you and me, we will encourage our children and grandchildren to come back, we have to make sure that they can live happily and safely in a country. And this is what the Saudis requested. You know, when people say, you know, but the Saudis have left the Saudis, they've never left us. We push them away. We send them Captagon. We send them, you know, terrorist cells to go to Kuwait and others. We financed and, you know, as Hezbollah, not me, you know, but Hezbollah, you know, they supported Houthiyin to attack Saudi Arabia and Mecca. Now, why wouldn't they say, but why should I continue the relation with you? Yet, they were willing to give us one more chance. The question is that we as Lebanese, are we willing to capitalize on that option to give the message back that we, the Sunnis, are willing to have an opposition against Hezbollah and we would like to develop a relationship? I believe if we do that, the Saudis and the Gulf are going to come back in with vengeance and try to invest back and support this country. And we've already seen it with the Saudi-French fund that was raised. You know, I've heard you say it in multiple outlets the necessity to refocus our economy in a way that is 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 logical 
and that this relationship cannot be soured to the point that our economy collapses further because of an ongoing dispute with Gulf countries where hundreds of thousands of Lebanese go and work and they're being punished for reasons that are not Lebanon's. So I always appreciate that you make that a central issue. I, I'll, I'll like to take it now straight to Beirut too. And I've asked almost everyone running in different districts across the country a familiar question. Nadim Jmail was sitting here a few weeks ago, Elias Hankash as well, Sherb al Nahas, Najat Aoun Saliba and Shouf, and most recently the youngest candidate, Verena Al Amir, uh, running in Metan. I'm always curious what are the chief issues that candidates are hearing within their district? And you're the first person I've asked regarding Beirut too. Do you hear mostly the, the economic, uh, financial suffering and pain we all experience in this country? Is that a primary issue? Or do you also hear with that the echoes of communal anxiety when it comes to a very, very important district in terms of this language? And is it something that is perhaps more, more elaborate? Is it that they're looking to you for answers that you cannot offer? I'm I'm wondering what Beirut Two really is making. What is their case when they when when you speak Look, to them? Look, their the corrupted class, which is basically represents all of Lebanon. Yeah, they all stole money. They're all all corrupt. They all siphoned the cash out of our system. But if you go to Betroun, you think you're in Mykonos. <laughs> you go to Kisruen, you think you're in Switzerland. You go to the south, you have light and you have no garbage on the roads, except Beirut. You've helped light up a bit of Beirut. That's good. Well, and, and, and already in the port now, yeah. there is the rest of the of the solar panels mm. to try to light up. The government decided to delay let it, you know, taking them out of the country. But it, we will be. Yeah. And this will be phase two, and phase three will be completed by year end. We will okay. be lighting all of Beirut. Yes. And this is done because, you know, when I look at last August, and you know, you've realized that there is no more subsidy for the for the fuel. I went down in September and I asked the, the, the governor, can we, and remember, by that time, there was no, everybody was talking about delaying the yes, actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We offered to light all of Beirut. The, the municipal council insisted that we phase it into two phases. So I said, fine. So we did the first one. They delayed it, and finally they approved it, and we let the Cornish and Mazra. Yes. Now then, then we sent another letter, which was delayed until January this year to be approved. So in order to get caught into the transportation, you know, the, the yes. shipping. But anyway, the, the, all the products are in the port. I hope they will allow us to take it out soon mm. so that we can like Beirut. And then with the phase three is whatever is left. Anyway, the problem that I have with all of this, mm. we can make a difference. We can make a difference. But... The question is that how far we are willing to take the risk in making the difference. Mm. Your late father was very clear. He was, he wanted to build Lebanon. He was trying his best to make a rapprochement at some point in order to develop a better Lebanon. Somebody decided we're not interested, okay, and we don't know what happened. No, 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 no. I think you know who you were. You were very confident earlier in Hezbollah. Hezbollah. Yeah. No, no, I'm not saying. Oh, oh I'm I see. Saying I see. Yeah, somebody yeah. took the decision, see, yeah, but yeah, the ex- yeah. Hezbollah. Yeah. Because you remember, after the assassination of Hariri, and we did the STL, Hezbollah forced the government to write that condition in the agreement, saying if there is an accusation, it will be for the individual, yes. not for the entity they right. report That's to. That's true. Now the STL said it is Salim Ayesh. Yeah. 
part of Hezbollah. Yes. None of the politicians except me said it's Hezbollah. That's true. Okay, so what I'm saying is that few a few have become louder in recent years. Well, uh, after the, I started, you yeah, know, and no, I'm talking about I'm talking about the Sunnis. Sure. Yes. Sunnis, they were not too many up till now. There are people who are so shocked, but you really are becoming very tough against Hezbollah. Well, guess what? At the end of the day, if you know what's the problem is that, why do you have to try to be nice? You know, being nice, you're establishing more control of Hezbollah on the ground. Yeah. So even though they may become weaker, but the facts on the ground will protect them when you want to start saying this is unacceptable anymore. But when you run into Beirut to citizens that could vote for you, is that the conversation that comes up? There are two, the issue of Hezbollah, it mm. is a very serious issue. Yeah. You know, even though if you look at the polls, they saw we would like to talk about electricity, water, uh, b- b- heating, and all of this, which is really the concern of the Beirutis. Mm. But when you really sit down with them, they will tell you, but never, ever forget it is the arms of Hezbollah that put us where is there. So what I'm saying, you cannot, you see a lot of the politicians that are running now, or the candidates, they're trying to say, but the arms of Hezbollah is a minor issue. We will discuss it later. Yeah. But as long as the arms of Hezbollah is outside the control of the government and the control of the army, then basically they're acting as a, as, as a mafia and cartel that is threatening everybody, including the members of the parliament. So reforms, which everybody is looking for to be able to make the change can never happen when this is still, you know, the government and the parliament have legalized the arms of Hezbollah to that stage. So we need to have these two tracks running parallel because mm. you cannot do reforms without controlling the arms of Hezbollah because there will be not a single penny that will be coming in. Yes. Remember, all the money that we are discussing right now with the IMF is $3 billion over four years, which is half of what the diaspora will send us every year yeah. if we have better relationship with the Gulf. Yeah. In addition, 2010... We had the, 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 the uh, tourism sector, including, you know, the food and beverage, yes. was 11 billion, eight, sorry, $8.8 billion. Now it's down to two. Yeah. So it means if I want to attract people, people, remember, you know, the king of Saudi Arabia made it clear, we will not deal with a government which is under the control of Hezbollah. Okay, so the Lebanese have to make up their mind. We do not have the economy to generate our own jobs and opportunities. So we need that external investment, the inward investment. And to start with allowing the Gulf to people to come and live here and spend money here. But they are not willing to do it as long as Hezbollah is there. So yes, the average Beiruti understand there is a need for electricity, for garbage collection, all of this. But when you really sit down and talk to them, they understand that with the arms of Hezbollah, none of this is going to happen. So you need to run it parallel, I guess. So it's really, it's, it's almost, it's, it is the the story in Beirut too is the national story. The economic collapse and the sub-state paralysis caused by Hezbollah is what you hear on a day-to-day basis Correct. among citizens. It's the same story. It's the same story. But you yeah. see, it depends on the pollsters. Yeah. You see, if pollsters are close to 8 March, they will try to present it as the reforms. If they are right, too close. Right. But at the bottom line, if you really go down to the common denominator, the minimum common denominator, the lowest one. Basically, it is reform, but we all know that reforms with the arms of Hezbollah is going to be very difficult to achieve. May I call you for uh, Yes, of course. I, I always take liberty in doing that. Uh, I'll wrap it up with a final question. I'm going to try to bring two things together. It's a bit complicated. Uh, I enjoy watching Albert Costanian's show 2030, and I always enjoy the the very diplomatic debates that happen. And you were on just 10 days ago or so. Correct, last Monday. Last Monday. Uh, and it's 
it's fun for me to see because I know him and I know most of the guests the first time we meet but I like I like learning from personalities at a distance and I can tell that you're 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 almost sometimes you're blunt other times you're you're just stating the facts as they are and you answer questions in a way that you're able to link up what is not obvious to Hezbollah and I'll give you an example you were talking about the tragedy in Tripoli with the, the boat sinking and the drowning and, and many victims. And the question came up, how, what does this have to do with Hezbollah? And you were able to identify an indirect collateral damage caused by a sub-state group that has led to infrastructure, institutional, and absolute state failure, and that these are the consequences. And any country with that kind of burden on it, you would have the state failing. And yes, there are many individuals along the way that could do a better job. And yes, many, many Lebanese actors could do better to try to mitigate that. But the burden that Hezbollah plays in Lebanon is so severe that you can't always fix everything and clean up their mess. So I appreciate that you're able to address it that way. I'm going to pick up on what you mentioned a little earlier. Uh, this kind of rapprochement or this kind of outreach where Lebanon and Iran have mutual respect. And I think that is still the story. Parallel to that local ambition, local politics. But should you reach the Sarai, should you become prime minister, and there's a chance you will be the next prime minister, is that going to be part of your policy, that you want Iran and Lebanon to have a relationship like any other country where these are two states that respect each other in a way that's diplomatic, that Lebanon's ambassador to Iran is not Hezbollah, and Iran's ambassador to Lebanon is not Hezbollah, that we have normal ties the way they should be. Is that part of your agenda? Should you make it all the way? Or do you see this as something that is beyond your Beyond no, yourself. but it is it is part of the agenda, but as a second stage. Mm, mm. First of all, I need to develop my relationship with the Arab countries and to try to offer them what could be perceived by them that this is a mutual respect mm. and it's a mutual security arrangement between both countries. Because mm. my weakness now is with the Gulf and with the Arab countries, not with mm. Iran. Mm. Iran is dominating us, so I don't need to be dealing with them based mm. under their conditions. If I can get the Arabs to still feel, especially the Gulf and Saudi Arabia, that we are back to where we used to be pre and 92, mm. whereby it was a mutual respect. Everybody looked at Lebanon as the center where they want to do business, to, they want to come, and, and, and effectively some of them to live here. Then that, at that point, I would have raised then our tools to negotiate with Iran because at that time I'm not stuck. Today, the only country that's dominating the scene is Iran. So basically, why should they be negotiating with a government mm. under a sovereign conditions? So you see your path more in the Gulf sway and, and negotiating in a wider... In a wider arena. way, this yeah. is one. Secondly, time is coming where there will be a, some kind of a settlement in mm -hmm. the region. Mm -hmm. Okay, Now, where Iran thinks that they are dominating the scene, I think we will be getting a worse deal than if we were, yeah. if there is a deal in the region. Yeah. Lebanon will never be left 
to be under the control of Iran. I know a lot of uh, a lot of journalists. They're writing saying part of the deal, Lebanon will be part. I don't believe so. Okay, because if that's the case, referring to Vienna, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if that's the case, then there will be no changes in Syria. The mm. changes are happening in Syria. I mean, to start with, Iran has been retracting their control in Iran. So why would they then give Lebanon? to be under Hezbollah, is that mm, the case? Mm. Hezbollah, we have already said it more than and again and again. I don't have any problems with Hezbollah, the Lebanese, with no arms. Yeah. I don't have any problems with Hezbollah, the political party, that I may disagree with it, with sure. their lifestyle and this, yeah. but it's their choice. Yeah. But I have a problem when Hassan Nasrallah addresses the Lebanese people with the Khomeini picture behind them. Then I have a problem with that, because mm. then, really, why should I be talking to you if you think that your boss is somewhere which is not Lebanese. So, yes, we need to start this at some point. We, every country we have a diplomatic ties with, okay, we need to establish mutual respect between them, but we need to prioritize our relationship. Today, the United States is offering our Lebanese army all the support. So you, the role with the United States is very important. Yes. The role with the Gulf led by Saudi Arabia is very important. Then sooner or later, we want to have good relations with everybody. Why should Lebanon be part of any coalition against any other part of the of our region? Mm. We are not and we should never be part of any access against somebody else. You know, when the 2011, it was announced that we should not be part of the conflict in Syria, both were lying. One part was supporting Hezbollah, uh, Syria, the regime. One was against it. And guess what? I could see it from the beginning. There is, until Bashar al-Assad is willing to sign peace with Israel, this situation is going to be dragging forever. And it destroyed our economy, destroyed our country, destroyed our state. And for what reason? We hope and we wish the best for Syria and Syria. We wish the best for the Palestinians in Palestine. We wish the best for every country. But to be us party of that, that's the fault of Hezbollah, that they pulled us into this conflict and this access of evil, which really we have nothing to do with it. I'll say one more thing. The worst fears for me, the, 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 the disaster that I could imagine happening is that Lebanese that stood up to Hezbollah, independence in Lebanon, that challenged Iran's needs in Lebanon, gets silenced by a unfortunate return of Syria's influence in Lebanon. Not the Syrian army, not the Syrian intelligence per se, but Syria's allies in Lebanon take on the burden, if you will, of becoming pressure on Hezbollah. And that, for me, should that be the end result, would be the death of this country, where the Assad regime is the opposition to Iran in Lebanon. And I hope, I hope the Lebanese that still stand against this disorder that eloquently explain it over and over, and should they make it to parliament or further, that they do the right thing when it comes to the sovereignty and independence of Lebanon. You spent your whole life seeing the best and worst of this country. I'm not as fortunate. I grew up during the Civil War and saw what should have been a post-war journey turn to absolute failure. I'd like what you like with your grandchildren. I'd like my children one day to also have the option you, you explained very eloquently, which is to at least have a country to hold on to and love. And I hope that's the Lebanon down the road for both of us. It's an honor to meet you. I don't think I would have had this opportunity otherwise. Had it not been election season and I have an outlet where many people listen and they're engaged, um, 
It's a treat for me. And if you make it to the Sarai, I'd like you to invite me to the Sarai to do our second episode. How about that you will join the team so that you can do the media <laughs> from Sarai in order to send it to the right people in order to listen to the, to the truth? Depends how many fresh dollars you have right now in your wallet. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> we will try to do it some other way. <laughs> Fine. Thank you. It's a pleasure, sir. It's a pleasure. Thank and you, thank sir. you. Thank you for hosting me. Thanks for listening and watching. And a friendly reminder to support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box. Until next time. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>